we, we come now asking you, God, Lord Christ, to, to open our hearts to what you would say to us today from your word, from your gospel. Speak, God, for your servants are listening. Lord, now may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, if you brought your Bibles this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open them up to the gospel passage that Deacon Jesus read from Luke 7. Or you can take a pew Bible that's there in front of you and find that on page 863, um, Luke 7, uh, verses 1 through 10, because that's going to be the scriptures that we're going to be in today in particular. So it's Luke 7, 1 through 10. As, as many of you know, a few, about three weeks ago, almost a month ago, uh, I had some mouth and throat, no surgery, and so I'm still probably a little bit on the mend from that. But, um, but while I was in the depths of recovery and taking lots of Percocet and all that good stuff that they give you and eating three or four hundred pounds of yogurt to try to stay healthy... Um, I, I found myself passing the time, trying to find something I could pass the time with, that I could read, that I could understand or watch and kind of get into and not have to concentrate on too hard. And I actually found myself reading and watching a lot of military documentaries. And I was particularly fascinated to, to read about the lives and the missions of those who have served our military, particularly in the Middle East since 9-11. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. That really has given me a deeper appreciation for those who serve in our U.S. armed forces. And so I'm grateful for those people. Now, no worries. We're not going to cue the Lee Greenwood song or anything like that here this morning. But just to say thank you for your service. But friends, as I read, I found some things just staggering. Like, it was actually just exhausting for me to read about the rigorous training that our U.S. Navy SEALs go through to become a U.S. Navy SEAL. Part of the elite of the elite. That the people who go in, who are in decent enough shape to go in, and I mean, and these are some dude dudes, these are some guys, guys, but the dropout rate's like something like 90%. So you go in, and out of 100, that means that 90 of you are not going to be there at the end of training. So that was pretty staggering to me, but one of the things that really caught my eye and my interest was hearing these seals account after the fact about how thankful they were for the training that they had received and how that training had built into their lives an innate response of unrelenting obedience to the authorities that had been put over them to complete their missions. And how their training had formed within themselves and in their ranks a brotherly trust between brother seals. Many of these guys saying these things were vital to carry out their assigned missions, and it was also vital to being able to come home alive safely back to their families. In fact, some guys even accounted that these particular experiences in training and even their experiences in warfare made them humble. Now, friends, we can easily sit here and see how vital trust and obedience would be in situations like warfare. But I think sometimes we can really just kind of nonchalantly begin to believe that God's authority somehow may be less direct or less definite than the other human authorities that we encounter at our jobs, our schools, our lives, or in the world. And friends, there's several ways in my research this week. I found that you kind of categorize people that, or explains how people approach God. How There's several ways how people approach God and how they approach his authority, the truth about God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so kind of broadly speaking, there's five of them. So bear with me. Number one, you know what? Some people are just incensed. Now, not incense like we have this thurible over here that we put charcoal in sometimes with incense in it and we sense the church. No, that's not the incense I'm talking about. I mean incense in the sense that they're angered. They're angered and hostile toward the truth. Angered about the exclusiveness of God, the authoritative claims of Jesus Christ, and other claims of God as found in sacred scripture. You know, that's kind of what we saw as the backlog to what Tom read a minute ago from 1 Kings 18. That whole showdown between Ahab, what looks like between Ahab and Elijah is actually really between the people, of, or the people in that town and God himself. 
But Ahab and Jezebel, who were king and queen at that time, became incensed at Elijah later on. They became angry. And so there was kind of this contest called to see who the real God was going to be. So some people are incensed, they're angered. Some people are indifferent. These folks really have nothing against people who love Jesus or those who live out under or live under Christ's authority, but they conclude that Christ thing, that Jesus thing, it's just not for me. It's kind of like the folks responded in 1 Kings 18 that Tom read when they were, when there's a challenge for the people to make up their minds, who are they going to serve? Are they going to serve the one true God? Were they going to serve Yahweh? Or were they going to serve Baal? The text says, and the people said nothing. They're just indifferent. Some folks think that this God stuff is all irrelevant in various degrees. They assume that the Bible is an outdated book that's fraught with problems, irreconcilable contradictions, and therefore really can't be trusted. And they may conclude that being a Christian is probably not necessarily a bad thing, the core ethics of it, but the details of the Christian life really have no bearing on day-to-day life. Then others are intrigued or interested. Those are the folks who kind of get around, who come, come around the Christian community and they begin to see the real communal aspect between Christians. They see people gathering every week at so-and-so's home for life group. And they begin to see the love and the care that Christians have and demonstrate toward one another. Or they read about people being reconciled, what seems like irreconcilable situations. They read about people being reconciled to one another like in the post-Rwandan genocide. And they begin to ask these questions like, what is different about these Christians? They begin to conclude, you know, there's got to be something more than just the religious services that I attended or their denominational thing. And, you know, somehow or another, they kind of cut through the muck and really just kind of get over God's people who, honestly, I aren't one, who are pretty good at giving God a bad name sometimes. They get beyond that. They begin to look at Jesus and say, who is this Christ? And they begin to think deeply about Jesus and perhaps look at his life further in the Gospels. Fifthly, others are enthralled with Jesus or in love with Jesus. God and his truth. These are the folks who have taken the steps of going beyond, or maybe they started out being incensed, but then became a little indifferent. Then eventually, as they kind of live their life further, become intrigued, but eventually come to place their faith in Christ, submitting to his lordship, knowing him not just as Lord, but friend. And they know themselves to be sons and daughters of King Jesus. And with the help of God, they desire to obey Christ's authority and worship him as God. They're enthralled and in love with Jesus. And so broadly speaking this morning, forgive me if this makes you feel labeled or categorized, but we all fall roughly into one of these five categories. But friends, understand, we at Christ Church here, we want the incensed, honestly. We want the angered. We, will, we, we appreciate that. We appreciate the objections. We appreciate the indifferent. And we want those who may assume God to be irrelevant to feel welcome and accepted here and that you can ask questions. But friends, please know the goal of this is at the same time, we, our hopes and our desires and our prayer for you is that over time, you will become intrigued and that you will become enthralled and eventually fall in love with Jesus Christ. So really my question for us today is this, how do you approach Jesus? How do you approach God? How do you react to his authority today? Well, our gospel text this morning that Jesus read from Luke 7, 1 through, or comes from Luke 7, 1 through 10. And friends, if, if, if you look at Luke 7 and if you feel left out or something's kind of wrong or, you know, you're just not at a place where everybody else is at in the room, listen, Luke writes Luke 7 and he writes about all sorts of diverse people approaching Jesus in different ways. And really, there's something to be learned from all of their approaches. And this morning, in particular, we have in chapter 7, 1 through 10, the Roman centurion. And I'll get to him in a minute. But if you read over a little bit further, you find that there's a person in deep grief and mourning. You read a little bit further, you find a man who's full of doubt. And you read a little bit further, you find a promiscuous woman who absolutely, to most of society, looks unsavable in the midst of a bunch of religious zealots. And you see Christ setting her free. And so don't feel left out. Luke writes about a bunch of diverse people. But this morning, we're going to only look at the centurion. That's all we have time for from Luke 7.10. And beloved, 
in that passage that Jesus read, Luke really writes more about the centurion than he does Christ. And so that's probably done for a reason. And so we can conclude that Luke wants us to see something and the significance of that. And I believe that he presents to us a model as how to approach Christ and his authority, how to approach Christ and his authority. But first, let me give you a little bit of context about a Roman centurion or centurion. What what is that? Well, a centurion in this era, particularly in a Roman time, or times when Jesus is here, um, a a centurion would be a Roman soldier who is essentially in charge of a hundred other soldiers. And his job or his mission would be to protect and secure and put down threats to the Roman Empire. And he really wouldn't be top brass, but he's a middle-ranking officer, but he's in a small town of Capernaum, and to be a, you know, basically he'd be a big fish in kind of a small pond. What he commanded would happen, for he had the authority of Rome at his backing. He would be used to giving orders, and those orders were to be followed without question. And you could actually kind of conclude, here's a man who's in control of all of his life. But however, in verse 2, Luke 2, or 10, excuse me, 7 chapter, or Luke chapter 7, verse 2, we find a man who's not in control. He's out of control and he's defenseless, for he has a servant that the scripture tells us is very dear to him, and this man is dying. And so this is the situation. Christ enters in Capernaum. Now remember, this is a small town. And so there's little doubt that this centurion has not heard about Jesus already. Why? Well, As Jesus made his way through small towns, he did things that would certainly get the attention of the local people and including the local government. For example, in Luke 4, in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus begins his ministry and he gives a sermon in the local synagogue. And the people become so angry and so incensed by his words, they try to kill him. Scriptures say they basically drove him to the edge of a cliff, tried to throw him off. Now, why did they do that? Because on that day, Jesus told them that he was God's Messiah, that he was God's king, that he was the savior of the world. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, two problems. One, Jesus' statements were in direct challenge to the Jewish socio-political religious establishment at that day. And then secondly, his words were in direct conflict with the Roman political rule. See, friends, there was to be no king in the Roman Empire but Caesar. And any insurrectionist or any political uprising or challenge from another king would most likely result in government officials handing down orders to those just like this centurion to do whatever necessary to put that uprising down. But for the Jewish group that tried to kill Jesus, someone like Jesus claiming to be Messiah would certainly challenge their assumptions about their own Jewish nation and what they expected of their leadership. They expected their coming Messiah to be a mighty warrior who would lead them to crush Rome and free them from the Roman rule. They did not expect some poor carpenter from some unheard town to be Messiah. That's why Jesus' people tried to kill him. That's why his own people tried to kill him. He was not what they assumed or expected. And so, friends, you can see in the text, just from the scriptures alone, the political powers of the day would be incensed. They would be angered by Jesus' claims to be king and lord. But you know what? The Roman Empire did not immediately descend down upon Jesus. And so we could conclude that the Roman officials were maybe more indifferent toward Christ. They probably had the attitude of, well, you know what? It's that Jewish crowd over there. They're always getting uptight. They're always getting upset about something. They're always protesting something. They're always getting angry. Just let the Jews be Jews. They're pretty much irrelevant to our culture here in the Roman Empire anyway. They're just not part of the plan. But it's amazing. Over time, because of the close proximity of Christ's ministry to this centurion, get this, somewhere along the way, the centurion becomes intrigued by Jesus. He probably heard the stories about Jesus casting out demons in Luke 4. He'd certainly probably heard about Jesus cleansing a guy who'd been a, had leprosy all his life in Luke chapter 5. And then he probably heard about Jesus hearing a paralytic after his friends had cut a hole in the roof of a local house to get them in front of Jesus. You know, listen, if that happened in your neighborhood, you'd probably know about it. 
Who are those morons? I mean, how important is this guy that people would literally go and saw a hole in somebody else's house to let their friend down in front of him? Who is this man? Who is this man that's so important that people would destroy another person's property? Friends, so here it is. We have a man who's used to giving orders. He's used to people obeying him and doing what he says, but now all of his authority, all of his control in the world can do nothing for his sick servant. He cannot fix it. He cannot give an order to change it. He cannot make sense of it. He goes from being in control and having authority to being helpless and defenseless and impotent as he faces losing something very near and dear to him. Friends, let me ask you something this morning. What is it that you can't make sense of in life today? What is it in your life that you can't change or fix? Where do you feel like you have lost control? And what is it in your life that you can't sort out? Where are you going to turn today? Perhaps, like this centurion, maybe you'll turn and approach Jesus. How will you do that? Well, in the centurion's life, we see a model of him approaching Jesus with two things, humility and faith. And these are essentially the two points I want us to see this morning. One, we approach Christ with humility, recognizing our unworthiness. And then secondly, we approach Christ with faith, recognizing Jesus Christ's authority. First, humility, recognizing one's unworthiness. Say, well, how do you know the centurion approached Jesus in humility, recognizing his unworthiness. Well, we see that in one particular sense. See, the centurion sends two groups of people to Jesus to ask him questions. And really the first kind of group or delegation, if you will, is comprised of Jewish elders. Well, why is that? Well, a Gentile person would not associate with a Jewish rabbi or a teacher such as Jesus, lest they defile him and make him unclean. And so knowing these cultural sensitivities, this centurion wants to be sensitive to that. He understands these things. He sends a Jewish delegation. And they plead on the behalf of the centurion in verses four and five. Look at those with me. He says, he, and this is their words. He says, he is worthy, that is the centurion, to have you, speaking to Jesus, do this for him. For he loves our nation. And he is the one who has built us our synagogue. Now friends, note something. They plead with Jesus based on the centurion's merits and worthiness. And it really be, it is interesting to note the two different approaches of these two different delegations that happen. See, the first one comes here, these Jewish, based on merit. They tell Jesus about the good works the centurion is doing. That he's a good guy. That he's paid to build the synagogue. That he loves our nation. Merit. And friends, that's honestly where most of us live today, isn't it? See, we earn our living based on our merit and our works. We earn grades in schools by our own merit. We get into college based on our college of our choice based on merit. We even sometimes marry on the basis of merit. I made a joke in the first service about that. I'll admit that here. (laughs) Much of our life is based on merit. And what we earn. And that's what the first delegation of Jewish leaders assumed to do. And friends, that's exactly what we read in the Galatians passage. The challenge is that they thought that they could somehow or another, yeah, they could come to Christ, but to really be a good Christian, you had to do this merit thing, you had to be circumcised. They're adding things to the gospel. Paul spoke out about that. You see merit on behalf of those prophets of Baal, right? That Tom read about. They're out there chanting. They're saying all kinds of things to Baal. They're cutting themselves. They're yelling and they're dancing. They're asking for something to happen. Why? On behalf of their actions, on behalf of their worthiness, their worship of him and their merits. But in the process of this with this centurion, something interesting happens in his life. And it's this. He realizes somewhere along the way, in this quick flash of a moment, he doesn't have to earn it with Jesus. Scripture tells us that when Jesus gets close, the centurion sends out a second delegation. Listen to the words that they say to Jesus in verses 6 to 7. It says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. 
essentially says, don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve you to come to my house. I'm unworthy. You see the difference between the two groups? See, the first one pled on merit. The second delegation in verse six really is a plead for mercy out of a heart of humility. Somewhere the tone of the conversation changes. Somewhere between sending a delegation to go recite his resume to Jesus, there's all of a sudden, you know what? Listen, Jesus, it's okay. It's okay. Just say the word. You don't have to come. And you know, the tone of that conversation sounds a lot like the parable that Jesus told in Luke 18 of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Most of you probably know that story. A Pharisee and a tax collector come into the temple, both begin to pray. The Pharisee says something to this effect, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like others. I'm not like, I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not this, I'm not that. And particularly, I'm not like this tax collector. I do all these righteous things. I fast, I tithe, I give to the poor. But on the other hand, the tax collector would not even look up to heaven. Instead, he beats his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus in that parable in Luke 18 says it was that man who went home justified that day. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So friends, when a centurion, he could not make sense of life. When he ran into a situation, he could not change. Whenever things happened in his life, he could not fix. It may have began with a plea of his merits and worthiness, but when the centurion comes to the end of himself and aware of who he is before God and then actually who Jesus is, we see him approaching the Lord Christ with deep humility, recognizing his unworthiness. And so my question again for us, is that how you approach Jesus this morning? That's offensive to us, isn't it? To come with humility and admit our unworthiness to God. We intuitively know that God sees all that is in our hearts. We know that he knows if he's God, he knows about all our wrong thinking. He knows of all the sins that we have committed. He knows of all our unrighteousness. But scriptures tells us he loves us anyway. But friends, how could we ever think that we could approach an omniscient, that means all-knowing, omnipresent means he's everywhere, omnipotent meaning meaning he has all authority and power to do what he wants, with a high-handed attitude of our worthiness or our list of good merits and deeds and demand that somehow he accept us or that God just get over himself almost as if we're on equal par with him. That's not at all what we see in the life of this Roman centurion. He comes in humility. But not only does he approach the Lord Christ with deep humility, recognizing his unworthiness, but he comes also by faith, recognizing Christ's authority. Look again at what the Roman centurion says in verses six to seven. He says, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. But say the word and let my servant be healed. You read a little further, verse nine tells us that Christ is amazed by this statement. Why? Back Christ says, I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. Why? Christ is amazed because this man believes not just in Jesus' supernatural power. See, Jesus had quite the following for people who just wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. They kind of liked the miracle show, if you will. They liked the signs and the things that he did. But somehow along the way, this man, some way, somewhere along the way, was not just intrigued by what Jesus could do, but instead came to trust and believe in Christ's ultimate authority. An authority that is such that the man who possesses it does not even have to be present to perform the miracle. In other words, this Roman centurion believes that the word of Christ, the word of God, is so full of divine, regenerative, healing, restorative, authoritative power that he can merely speak the word. And what is said will happen. God speaks. Things happen. Why? Because of his authority. He is God. And friends, the text tells us the Roman centurion, he said this himself. He understood authority. He knew that what he said would happen because of who he was and the authority that stood behind him, the Roman Empire. But now he, by faith, trusted that what Christ said would happen or what Christ said would happen. 
And it would happen because it had the full authority of God behind it. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. You know, occasionally along the way, I run into folks who say things like this to me. And, uh, and, and don't worry, you never offend me with this. But he, he says, you know, somebody will say something like, look, I get it that you're a priest and you're a man of the cloth. You know, we wear collars and stuff like that most of the time. And um, they'll say things like this, you know, but I just can't seem to get that faith thing. I'm like, sure you can. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, everyone has faith, right? Like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you, for instance, like even here this morning, you have faith that when you leave here, your vehicle will start and carry you wherever you're going to go. And that you don't have to examine all the intricate details of the vehicle each time to prove that that's true. I mean, think about it. You don't go out of here with your key thinking that you're going to stick it into the ignition, that you're going to turn it one time, and that's going to excite uh, the fuel system and the ignition system and all the other systems that are required to operate the vehicle. Then you're going to turn it one more time, and that's going to engage another switch, which is going to energize the battery, which is going to come over to a solenoid to engage the starter to spin the engine. You don't sit there and think about that kind of stuff, do you? No, but you can study and look it up and find out that what's happened. Experience and evidence just tells you that your car will start when you leave here. So in a sense, that is faith. Beloved, listen, there is sufficient evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that it is he who came in love and died for our sins, who was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and has the loving authority to declare us righteous before God and then lovingly and gently transform us and grow us more into his image. There is sufficient evidence for that. What is your reaction to that? Perhaps you're incensed or angry. Does Christ calling you to humility and trust make you upset? Maybe you're indifferent. You say, well, that's fine for you, man, but that's not for me. Maybe to say it's irrelevant. It's just a bunch of old stuff. Bears very little on my life today. Friends, if that is you this morning, and I mean this with all gentleness, can I invite you to do something, though? An experience, if you will. And that is to take a Bible and begin reading the Gospels. And let me start this morning by introducing you to Jesus that way and saying, listen, begin to read and, and understand and comprehend his love for the world. Take a Bible and begin to understand his love for the world and ultimately his love for you. You say, well, I don't have a Bible. Then take one that's in the pew in front of you home. You can have it if you'll read it, please. But I pray by doing so that somewhere along the way you will no longer, you will kind of grow from being incensed or indifferent or thinking this stuff's irrelevant to becoming intrigued, to becoming enthralled with Jesus as you get to know him. Not just about him, but as you read that you begin to experience his love and his grace for you as you encounter and experience him through the word. People ask me these other questions too, like, who is God? (laughs) How do I know him? Look at Jesus. How are you gonna know who Jesus is? Listen, don't look at his people. His people are failures. They're flawed through and through. Look at Christ. Beloved, in a moment, we will have prayer stations at the church. And if anything, excuse me, let me back up. Perhaps maybe today, you came in here, you have no idea why you're here, but you're at the end of your rope. Metaphorically speaking, you have a sick servant situation in your life and you're not sure what to do. Things seem like they're out of control. Would you this morning, would you come? Would you approach him, approach Christ with humility, acknowledging your unworthiness and his worthiness? And would you come by faith, recognizing his authority as Lord and Savior that, listen, he can say the word and change your situation. In a moment, we will. We will have prayer stations at the church. And if any of these things really do kind of hit home or resonate with you, I, I would encourage you this morning and invite you to come with humility to approach Christ. And come by faith, knowing that he has the authority to do whatever it is you need him to do in your life today. And you too can say with the words, with a centurion, say the word, Jesus. And whatever it is, it'll be done because you are God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand with me.
What do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. I ask your prayers for God's people throughout the world. For Justin, Archbishop of Canterbury, Onispoor, Archbishop of the Anglican Province of Rwanda, for Foley, Archbishop of the Anglican Church in North America, for our bishops, Stephen and Quigg, for this gathering, and for all ministers and people, pray for the church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I ask your prayers for peace, for goodwill among nations, and for the well-being of all people. Pray for justice and peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I ask your prayers for the poor, the sick, the hungry, the oppressed, and those in prison. Pray for those in any need or trouble. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I ask your prayers for all who seek God or a deeper knowledge of him. Pray that they may find and be found by him. Pray for our children, Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Praise God for those in every generation in whom Christ has been honored. Pray that we may, fi- we may have grace to glorify Christ in our own day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty God, to whom our needs are known before we ask, help us to ask only what accords with your will, and those good things which we dare not, or in our blindness cannot ask, grant us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. If you truly and sincerely repent of your sins, are reconciled and at peace with your neighbors, and intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God, and walking from this day forward in his holy ways, draw near with faith, take this holy sacrament to strengthen and comfort you, and make your humble confession to Almighty God, kneeling if able. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. 
For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you by all, in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep you in eternal life. Amen. Please stand. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. Take time to greet one another with signs of peace and reconciliation. God's peace. God's peace, ladies. God's peace. Hey, Judy. God's peace. Tom, God's peace. Hey, brother. brother. Amen. God's peace. Hey, guys. Well, good morning. As um, turn back to your seats, I want to welcome you to Christ Church this morning. I'm Keith Hoffman. I'm associate rector here at Christ Church. And again, just want to say we're uh, we're thankful that you're here this morning. If you're a visitor with us in particular, um, if you are a visitor with us, we have a favor to ask of you. And we're not going to chase you down or, or haunt you or stalk you or you know or spam your name or do something crazy. But on Tuesdays, we always meet as a staff, and one of the things uh, we we like to do is pray for those who come through our midst to our visitors. And so we have these little things called connect cards. And so if you wouldn't mind, uh, just you can just write your first name or your last name, first and last name. That's fine. Put that on the offering plate as that comes by. That one helps us have a record of your visit in case you're going to return or you come back, and then we kind of familiar with your name. But second of all, I mean, really, there is no agenda other than to pray for you wherever you are, wherever you are on your journey um, right now. Um, I would encourage you to take a look at the rest of that card because there may be some things that do apply to you, like you want to know more about Christ Church or the Anglican Church in North America, um, or you may want to know what's going on weekly here at Christ Church. If that's you, please uh, check those appropriate boxes. Make sure we get your address as well as your email and phone number. Um, we send our parish notes. Uh, that's our weekly update out one time a week on Tuesdays. And so we can't do that if we don't have your email address. So uh, make sure we have that. And then on the back side, there's uh, just some lines. What's that for? That's for prayer requests. And so if there's anything going on in your life you'd like for us as a staff to pray for on Tuesday, we'd be happy to uh, pray for. Um, this is a ministry here at Christ Church um, between your staff and even our prayer team that we've seen God do some amazing things in and through this church through prayer. And so we want to be open about that and share that uh, with the rest of anyone who may grace our doors here. A um, few moments, uh, we're going to come to the Lord's table in Holy Communion. And the way we do that here at Christ Church is like this. You don't have to be uh, necessarily Anglican uh, to partake of the Lord's table. You do, however, need to be a baptized follower of our Lord Jesus Christ who comes with faith and repentance. And so uh, if, if that, that works for you this morning or that's where you're at and you're a guest with us, you simply to receive, you simply come forward, make your hand into a tray like this. I will put bread in your hand and you might partake of the common cup. If you'd say for some reason, well, you know, I don't think it'd be authentic for me to do that with you guys this morning. Thank you. Um, there's a couple things you can do. One, you can still come forward and cross your arms like this. Now, lets me know to pray a prayer of blessing upon you instead. Or you can remain in your pew. And uh, in the pew guide that's in there, it's kind of a, a cream-colored uh, uh, service guide. There's some prayers in the back. I would encourage you to, to pray through. And we will also have our prayer ministry uh, uh, at this particular time uh, during communion at the front and the back of the church who would be happy to really pray with you about any need that you may have in your life. I mean, sometimes I've heard people say things, you know, it's just the silliest thing that's going on in my life. And I just, I, I don't really feel like I, I, I want to be public about it or people praying for me about it. Listen, there is no uh, small things in God's kingdom. Um, if you've got a need this morning, I'd encourage you to seek out our prayer ministry. You will be blessed for sure. This time we will ascribe to the Lord the honor to his name, bring offerings, and come into his courts. Just want chalice. I cast my mind to Calvary. Where Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds 
his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forever. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. For you are the source of light and life. 
And you made us in your image and called us to new life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. And gracious Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. On the night, he was handed over to suffering and death. Our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, according to, therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in Him. Sanctify us also that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. And at the last day, bring us with all your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast Alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. You may be seated. Do you think we need another chalice? I think so. Do you want a second one? Yeah. Uh, the bread of heaven. Ryan, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. 
He's all the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Jim, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Michelle, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Jim, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Ty, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Your prayer team. All things are ready. Please come as you will to receive from the front to the back. Oh, the 
Let us pray together. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Receive this blessing. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. He chose
Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. It was great. Man. That was chills. Safe travel as you go, and Thank you. praying for your time. doing over the weekend, anything? 